0: Today are two people who are doing some extraordinary work in Kabul, Afghanistan, and I, I think that you're going to really appreciate listening to what they're up to. Matulia Rafmati and Shersha Rahim I'm talking to today. Uh, Matulia Rafmati is a global shaper for the World Economic Forum, the co-founder of Impact, which is another episode on this podcast, a Social Entrepreneurship Network. For countries in conflict or post-conflict, and he's also co-founder of Coworthy, and that's the topic for today. Shersha Rahim is the CEO of a private company called IAP, co-founder of Tamveel, and we'll find out more about that, as well as Coworthy, and is also on a jury at the World Summit Awards in the UN. So, I mean, a a, couple, a very powerful team we've got here. Together, they're putting together a co-working space in Kabul and tackling a problem shared by startups worldwide, which is finding the funds to nurture the entrepreneurial ideas coming forward but in particularly in a in you know the nuances that we will all talk about today also include a country very really strongly associated with conflict so my name is Donna Jones. I'm the host of this program. You're listening to the Insight to Action podcast, which is dedicated to inspirational action and insights uh, worldwide. So, Maddie and Cher, let's just get started. Uh, what are you up to in Kabul?
1: Well, you pretty much said everything about us. So, uh, I and Mati, we, we work together on a couple of things. We we are just like very close to the launch of this new place called Coverty where we plan to bring together a lot of startups and and help them or empower them to to do what they do best um uh, and besides we are working on uh, on the launch of the first crowdfunding platform besides um i have my own business it's called uh, IAP intellectual applications and products and Mati has his own that he can talk about later Uh, so, so there are a couple of things that we do. Uh, I have a, I have more of a technology background. He has more of a management background and we come together not only to, to help our own businesses, but also to enable other people in Afghanistan that have failed in the past or let's say that are struggling in, in businesses or with their startups. Thanks so much here.
2: Uh, I just want to continue with that. Actually, during these last two years, uh, I've worked closely with youth in Afghanistan. I'm young as well, but I was like leading some of the programs or we can say events that are interesting to youth here in Kabul. And I had like close interactions with them. Through my interactions, I got that. In Afghanistan, youth had a lot of like motivation, energy, and they can do big things. But the thing is here that they need someone to be there to lead them and to show them that they can and they're able to do that. So basically, they need inspirations. That's why since uh, December 2017, uh, I have resigned the jobs I have had in the past. And then I have started my own business. While my main focus is working with youth. And as Shersha mentioned, like with a, with a background coming from social and management, working closely with the youth, I got that, like, we have to work more and more with them. And that's how we end up starting co worthy a co-working space where, like, innovative youth, they came together in order to work on ideas. And at the same time, I'm running my own consultancy company, which is called The Bright Point. And all in all, what I'm doing is focused on entrepreneurship, startups, and closely working with youth to inspire them.
0: And I'm sure you don't have much in the way of spare time either.
2: (laughs) Well, that's one of the beautiful things about entrepreneurship, because you are like 24 by 7, as we can call, because you're working days and nights on different things. But the good thing about it is that's what your heart wants you to do. So that's how you don't. It, it won't become boring, you won't lose energy, and you have always the motivation to work more and more because you are contributing to the bigger vision that you have at the end of the day for yourself and also for others.
0: I, I completely relate. Let's talk a bit about youth. When you talk about youth, what are what age groups are, are we looking at here and what kinds of, of young people are being drawn into the co-worthy space and the space you're creating for social entrepreneurs?
1: So, um, Afghanistan has a very young uh, population and, and that's a very good point about us uh, because you'd see a lot of people coming up with different ideas and most, most, most of the times you would see them doing what people have already done in other countries. Uh, so, um, a lot of people that we see here coming to us with, with a lot of great ideas and having startups are between the age of 20 to 30, but most of them, I would say, would be between uh, 20 to 26. So, that's that's the age group that we have so far, and they have been doing amazing. I mean, uh, they... you. You wouldn't expect them to come up with you know such 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 amazing ideas, but then you would see them having all those ideas uh, and and working on them for for a couple of years, let's say months. Um, so yeah,
0: is that uh, is that equal gender balance or, or what are you finding there?
1: Well, uh, yes, it's a it's very uh, gender balanced. Uh, luckily, we we have been noticing a lot of female females in the startup community. I, I just met a couple of them last week uh, in an event, and they have been doing a great job. So there was one called Tanab, and uh, she was basically doing laundry, laundry ser- services. Her business was actually doing pretty much better than other uh, other people's startups. So yes, there are women, but not to the level where we would call it uh, uh, equal. Uh, it's uh, it's It would be about 70, 30, I guess, as of now. But then it's about to change with, with programs that we have in Afghanistan, such as Promote, USAID. They they basically fund women uh, to work in these areas, and, and they fund other businesses to support them to work in these areas so that they can enable more women to, to come up with businesses instead of working for other people.
0: Excellent. You know, it's funny. I, I see a lot of discussion, and especially around with young people, on looking for jobs and looking for employment, and, and I frankly don't see that as being the future at all. I think what you're doing is entirely what is what the future of work is made of it's it's made of chase you know chasing those creative ideas and making them real you know re-putting them into action and and failing here and there but you know learning along the way
1: that's right so when i started my job first in the year 2013 we didn't have these initiatives back then so there was nobody to mentor us to to show us or to guide us the right way so i had to do a job right and back then i would always uh, advise people, tell them that you have to work for someone at least for five years so that you learn from them, you learn from their mistakes, you also make a network or make connections, and only then you can have your own business because only then you would be able to do things the right way. But today it's a completely different situation because today there are a lot of people like us, so we have a place co-worthy. We don't, we don't only provide them with space and desks, we also do mentor them, we, we, we guide them. And we tell them about the mistakes that we've made so that they don't get to repeat those mistakes and and get to uh, be successful with their startups.
0: Excellent. Anything you want to add to that?
1: I want to add that
0: in the past, like
2: uh, the mentality and the mindset was a mindset of more of competition. For example, if someone was in the market, so they didn't want others to enter into the market and become a competitor to them. But the new generation, I mean the youth like us who are working as entrepreneurs in the market, we have another kind of mindset and mentality. And what we are like trying to like increase and have it more and more in the market is a more of idea of acceptance and nurturing each others and helping each other to grow together. So this is basically the idea that we don't want to have all the market or all the opportunities for us. But we want to grow together with others. So this was basically the idea that we have started this place because we are also young and we're looking at the youth problems, especially those who want to be entrepreneurs. For example, one of the basic problems that they all have is about expenses and charges for starting their business because they can't afford to have an office, internet connection, Sofa, couch, chairs, all the things that they need. So we came up with the idea of this place so they can have very good place with an affordable price. And at the same time, there are some other ideas that they lack access to funding in Kabul. And that's their one of their, like we can say, very big problems. So we came up with the idea of Tom Wheel, like a crowdfunding platform, which is localized. I mean, it's not crowdfunding. Funding platform like other company uh, countries, but it's localized and in accordance with the systems, the the media that we have in Afghanistan. So we can help them raise fund and start working on brilliant ideas.
0: Excellent. And and I think you know what you've just described is the big shift we're seeing worldwide, where uh, at least as far as young people are concerned, and that's to move move from competitive to cooperative because the, the challenges that are so complex and we, we've got a much better chance of tackling them when we work together. So I'm, I'm really delighted to hear that.
2: Exactly. And just wanted to add one another point, is that most of these startups, they want to work on the new and innovative ideas. And when they are like, uh, we can say far from each other, there is a problem because whenever you talk about a new idea, a startup, an innovation, people will start to saying you that it's not worth it to work on or like invest out of your money or your time or your energy. But when you're working with a group of like-minded people who believe in the same future like you do, and they have the same vision as you do, so working on innovative ideas, it becomes easier because the other people who are working at the same place, they believe on the same thing that you do. So it makes it easier to work on new ideas and to grow faster than to work alone.
0: Where are people getting their ideas from? I mean, and what can you describe, give, me some, give us some, some examples of the innovations that are stepping forward for, you know, into this ecosystem you're creating here?
2: Well, there are two kind of uh, innovations and new ideas that I have faced so far with the youth here in the market. As I'm running an incubation and acceleration program, which is based on Silicon Valley called the Foundry Institute. And I am their country director. So since 2016, and I'm closely working with youth who have new ideas and want to become future entrepreneurs. Most of these ideas, they came out of the problems that we have in Kabul because very basic Idea that everyone has about entrepreneurship is that entrepreneurs provide solution to the problems. So most of these people, they came up with brilliant ideas, which are the solutions for current problems in Kabul and in Afghanistan overall. This is one thing. And the second thing, there are certain entrepreneurs who are looking at other countries and they're seeing like what things or what it was very good at those countries. And what could solve a lot of problems. So they want to like they don't want to copy, but they want to localize those solutions and bring it to our country because it's not that we have always reinvent the wheel, but sometimes we have to just localize it and make it in accordance with uh, what we have uh, in the market. Share, do you want to add? No,
1: like I completely agree. Okay, about what do you say? Yeah
0: yeah excellent and and I love the way you've said that because a lot of times when people think of going somewhere else and looking they they try to do a direct transfer. I see this idea i'm going to directly transfer it in and it it rarely works because the conditions are different, the values are different, the mindset's different, and you you do have to do that that adaptation to to put it into a local context, so I really appreciate that awareness. Now, let's talk about what kinds of challenges both you face and, and, and the entrepreneurs face. What, what is, I mean, you know, Afghanistan, at least globally, is often associated with, with uh, armed conflict. Uh, what, what is the situation and, and what kinds of challenges do you face working in, in the situation? And, and overall, just, you know, describe how it, how it, how it feels to you in, that, uh, in, in what you're doing.
1: There are a lot of challenges in Afghanistan, but uh, at the same time, there are a lot of opportunities as well. Because when there are challenges, you see very little competition in the market. And so that's an opportunity. Um, so so one of the very well-known challenges in Afghanistan is security. Everyone in Afghanistan and outside of Afghanistan knows about it. But we have a couple of other challenges as well. One that I would say would be cost. So the Internet, let's say, if you get... A, if you want to get a connection, a fast internet, which is very vital for businesses and startups, uh, you, get it, you would get 50 megabit per second in Canada for, let's say, $100. Uh, but in Afghanistan, you would have to pay for one, one megabit per second, um, $150. Uh, so the the pricing or everything that's, that supports your startup is very expensive in Afghanistan. And most of the startups wouldn't be able to afford them considering the fact that we have very... We have a very fund-dependent economy. So that's one part of it. Uh, the other part is, of course, uh, the mindset, as, as Mathis said earlier. So we launched a ride-hailing app in Afghanistan, just like Uber. And one of the challenges that we had in Afghanistan is that we did not only have to go and uh, train the drivers, but we also had to go and train the users because not a lot of people knew how it works, what it does and what and how it's going to change their uh, right experiences but if you want to do it in the US you you wouldn't have to do that you would just launch an app you would provide a best uh, pricing the best pricing policy and then that's it you you may have to compete with somebody else because somebody has already done it in there or in those markets and they they have done the hard work for you to let people know about it or let people know about the services that that, that you provide if, whether it's a payment solution a right hailing service a YouTube kind of service, a social media service, everybody knows about those kind of services in there. So you would just be another competition. You wouldn't have to work hard to let people know about what it does. But in Afghanistan, we don't only get to tell people how it works, but also tell people about what it does, which makes it challenging for us. It's very time consuming, but at the same time, it's it's very rewarding as well. So by the time we we are somewhere, let's say if we start something now, in two years, if somebody else comes in, we will all, we, we will already be somewhere at some point uh, to win the competition and and at least to to serve you know the community.
0: Well, and you'll have already developed some loyalty just because you've taken the time to provide some familiarity with new technologies, which are or, or new ways of doing you know regular kind of ordinate, routine things. So I think that would be an advantage as well.
1: Right,
0: that's right. And that, of course, takes me to tech overall. I mean, because a lot of these uh, ideas, possibly, I'm gonna, I don't want to make an assumption here, but a number of these ideas may well involve tech. Does everybody have tech? Is that an issue, or, or you know, is that, is it just you know familiarity with working with tech off a phone, or what, what kinds of things show up there? Because I'm sure that there's going to be some some generational differences. I mean, young people are always very familiar with tech, so that's easy. But with clients such as the one you just described for road, you know, uh, rideshare, it would be a different matter. What, what are you seeing there?
1: Um, so now the situation is much better than than how it used to be five years ago because today you would see even a very small shop owner having a smartphone and then using Facebook or let's say YouTube to, to communicate with their friends and to share their ideas. So five years back, you wouldn't see them doing that today. So we have about 34 million population, 10 million of that lives in Kabul, which is the capital city, and only six million has access to, to smartphones and internet access, which means that if you're launching something, your market, um, the, the tech market is very narrowed down. So if you, even if we have six million, uh, let's say uh, not even 50% of that would use your service. So that would make it 3 million, right? So uh, for startups, for tech startups, uh, it's, uh, it's indeed a very big challenge uh, because for now they, they only have to look at the 3 million population instead of the 34 million population. So that's, that's, that's one part of it, which is, which is the user base. Uh, the other part is the understandings. So we, we have launched a couple of products in Afghanistan, not, not only a ride-hailing service, but a payment solution and a couple of others. The problem is that uh, in Afghanistan, you don't only really have to educate people, as, as I, like I said earlier, you also have to educate the authorities. So let's say we built the first taxation software where everyone from Afghanistan could easily calculate their taxes and submit them to the government. So the software could do the calculations and everything else, but it couldn't submit it to the government. So we went to the government, we explained everything step by step, word by word to the government. And then they were like, "Okay, now you have a system, it's brilliant, but we don't have one to connect with. And so you have to wait for us to launch the e-governments, the e-governance, and only then we can connect with you. And then only then we can enable millions of hands to submit their taxes online. So even though we were doing it for free for them and we wanted to help the community to submit more taxes and also to increase the tax revenue for the Afghan government, uh, it, it didn't work because the government itself is not ready for it, even if the private sector is.
0: Yeah, these are very interesting things to face, you know, just around the misstep or the or the different speeds of adoption uh, and also, you know, being, keeping in pace. So I, I really appreciate that example. That's excellent. It really gives the outsider a good picture of what of what kinds of things you're dealing with one of the things i'm seeing in a lot of both both well all companies but but startups and and, and to a large extent are looking for very fluid governance models very fluid ways of of working and so where where power is distributed versus being held in a seat you know i mean we've got the title of ceos but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're the the boss you you might share your authority with or your power or whatever with uh, with the the, the team you, you've got are you seeing some interesting ideas coming forward in terms of how the governance this decision making and the and the uh, way work gets done in these uh companies Your the startups you're working with
2: well the thing is here it depends on the mentality of the one who starts the company because we have the old mentality of uh, running businesses to be the boss and to be the owner of the company and, and have everyone listen to you while you're saying everything that you want without coming up with any suggestion or any reg- rejection or something like that. But we have hopefully now in the market, not a lot, but we have, we do have people with entrepreneurial mindset that they're like more of leader than we can say boss or the one who orders everyone else so now uh, you know since one or two years this mentality is increasing especially between those who were youth and they are business owners they are more practicing of an entrepreneurial mindset rather than boss or bossy mindset kind of thing that orders everyone So this mindset is increasing between people, but still there are those who have the old mindset of uh, like having a centered power in the company.
0: I see even that in startups in Vancouver where they promise an open culture, but the actual CEO is unable to let go of power. So the same sort of tensions arise that you'd see in a big company where You know, it's still centralized, so it's it's a fascinating. It's more of a personal leadership issue than it is a governance model.
2: Yeah, indeed.
0: This is a big question, I know, but what have you learned so far in the period of time you've been doing this work on the ground there in Kabul and in Afghanistan? Well, there are a
2: lot of fights, and as you said, and you know, each time we're like starting something or we are doing something, it adds up and it makes you more mature and more like a person who understands about how things work or wherever you take the new initiatives. But I believe, like, since I've started, like, doing all these activities, I've learned a few things. The first one is, like, impossible doesn't exist, but uh, whenever you want it to be impossible, then it becomes so. Because like uh, in these last years, like in my life, things happened that they were like pretty impossible. And before I was not even thinking about that. For example, for instance, there is an author and he has a book by, na- by name of uh, "Disciplined Entrepreneurship. And he is the director of innovation at uh, MIT. The name is Bill Ollett and he's running like a pretty big, big, projects and programs on entrepreneurship and startups. So I'm, I was so much interested in his book, and at least I've read it like four times, and I'm interested to read it once again, The Disciplined Entrepreneurship. One night I was thinking of him and uh, how he might look like, or how he might do, or these things. So I started like searching him on Google, then I came up with an email address, then I sent him an email. And you know, the day after, it was late night in Kabul. The day after that, in the early morning, I have received three emails from him. The one which he appreciated, really, someone from Afghanistan is reading his book, and he's interested in that. And the other thing, I've asked him in my email that I'm interested to use your book as curriculum for some of my trainings. And then... The other email, he said that we are more than happy to have you use our curriculum. And there was a third email that connected me to other colleagues of him. And he asked them to send me all like teaching materials for that book. That was one of the smallest like examples of things that happened in my lab. So that's one thing that if you really want to do something, all you need is investing out of your time, energy and starting working on that. That's the first thing. And the second thing, what I have learned so far is that you have to be selective and picky in terms of opportunities because there is a time when opportunity is lessened and you have like uh, very few and rare options. But there is another time that once you enter into the market, the people, when the people see your potential, they want to work with you. So you have to be selective and picky in terms of where you're putting your efforts and energy and the most important thing, your name. And the third thing I have recently learned is that the social media is so important. You have to master the way of using it, not to be used by it. So if you want to do marketing, if you want to do, even if you want to inspire people, if you want to introduce something, that's one of the best ways that can work, especially in countries like Afghanistan.
0: I am sure Nicole has helped you with the social. <laughs> she's she's brilliant. She did. <laughs> yeah, I just stood back when she after we did the interview for Impact and and watched her work her magic. I was like, whoa, that's how it's done. <laughs> she's great. Yeah. And the other thing is,
2: like, there is no only one way of learning something or mastering something or get to know something because in the past. All the mentality was that you have to go to a place in order to learn something. For, for instance, go to university, college, or school to learn something. Or you have a master or a person who can train you so you can master something and become one of the best at it. But what I have learned recently is that you don't have to go to college, university, or wherever. First of all, life itself is like a big teacher for you. It can teach you lots of things that you won't find at the universities. Like in terms of maturity, experiences, and these kind of stuff. And then the other thing is the books. I'm like a very serious book reader. And whatever I want to do, or whatever whatever I want to start, the first thing I, I do is looking for good books in that field. Then I start booking those books, reading those books. So that's how I, I can be one of. I can become one of the best in that field. So. This is a recommendation, and also what I've learned is, like, there are the old ways to go and seek for learning things, but you have to go for new ways as well, which one of them is book reading.
0: I noticed in one of the photographs at Coworthy, you've got a bookshelf, and I thought to myself, well, gosh, I've written Decision-Making for Dummies. We just put out a new book called From Hierarchy to High Performance, which is a series of articles from different authors And and then but, you know, other people listening to this have also written books. And I I thought I'd like to call out or shout out to the audience to sort of say, look, if you've got a good book on business or on leadership or on whatever it happens to be, I I would suggest you reach out to both Maddie and Cher and, and get them a copy for the library and co-worthy. I think that would be a really nice way to support what you're doing.
1: That would be amazing. Yeah, that would be great. And uh, I would also like to add to that, you would see a lot of people saying that uh, if you want to learn something, you you got to learn it from your mistakes. I agree to that to to some point, but then the the smartest act would be that instead of learning from your own mistakes, you better learn from others' mistakes. So so you look at other people, what mistakes did they make, if, even if it's a personal life or professional life, uh, you look at them, all the mistakes that they have made, and then you make sure you don't repeat them. That's one way of learning from other people uh, besides reading books and and articles on the internet.
0: Yeah, I very much agree with that. I I also appreciate what your point around self learning and and self discovery because, uh, and you know, doing all that on your own, because I'm finding a lot of the business schools are. Not keeping pace with what's going on, and so even if you do go and get an education, there's there's a pretty good chance it's not going to be relevant to the world you're in. So, because by the time you get out, the world's changed again. So it's moving very quickly, and I I truly believe that uh, being you know, being on top of your own learning is the best way to work with that. So that's right. Yeah. Let's talk about what you're doing with crowdfunding. Tell tell us about that project. What does it look like? How can people help?
2: Since early 2016 that I have started working with startups and entrepreneurs and also the social activists that they have brilliant ideas. One of the major problems that they were all facing at the same time and I have run like a couple of, uh, I've conducted a couple of surveys and the very first challenge that they have faced is access to funding. Because in Afghanistan, because of different reasons, like one of them is security, there is no like big investments happening and investments are in classic way of how they were like in the past that uh, a father is investing in his son's business because he's son and also some relatives do, but there is no investment in its real sense. And also, uh, government itself, it can't like invest on ideas, though they are solving big problems or issues, even for government. So that's how like brilliant ideas, they stop working on their idea, because besides working on their idea and having their startups, they have other responsibilities as well, because uh, Afghanistan is a poor country, so... And most of the families, like all family members, they have to contribute like financially back to the family. So if you work on your idea, on your startups, and you're not making money, so that won't work. So that's how the idea of crowdfunding came. We started that with an idea of solving one of the biggest challenges that entrepreneurs have in Kabul. For starting, we will be working only with social entrepreneurs who are introducing a new idea while solving uh, one of the big issues in the community and in where they're living. And it's not only for doing business and having profit at the end of the day, but at the same time they have a far more important social and cultural cost for that, which they are solving. So we will be working uh, with those ideas. We won't be only providing them with the fund or money, but also we will be supporting them with providing them with in- incubation and acceleration program plus very like strong tech support and at the same time access to funding. So what we will have under Camwheel, which is our crowdfunding platform, it won't be only funding, but it will be like uh, support for long term. So we work with the idea from idea stage till it becomes a business and then it uh, solves problems and generates revenue
0: can people from north america like canada or the united states or mexico can, can they or europe for that matter can can they uh, support these companies or is it when you said local, earlier you said it was localized so are you just looking for investors within afghanistan and region or how how are you what's the access points for that
1: so by localized we mean the website would be available in three languages uh, which is english pashto and dari and so that it's easier for everyone in Afghanistan to understand, you know, every part of the website. Yes, people from, from the Canada or from, from the U.S., even from other countries would be able to, to participate in crowdfunding startups. Uh, they would, they would have to use their credit card or debit card or a PayPal account. So, so those are the ways that they can use, that they can use to fund these startups. Uh, the only problem that we have so far is that, uh, the money, uh, if, if somebody is crowdfunding a startup from, from other places, the money wouldn't come directly to Afghanistan. So we have bank accounts in the U.S. It would go there and then we have to transfer it back here. So then there would be a lot of charges. And we're still looking for ways to reduce the cost for these transfers.
0: Yeah, I don't know if TransferWise works in Afghanistan, but that's the best app i found so far. I'm sure some other people listening will suggest some other ones, but that one's been outstanding. Yeah. Yeah, okay, great. Now, you're going to, have you launched Temwheel, or is it, uh, where what, what's the status of it at this point?
1: Uh, we are at the edge of launching Temwheel. It's a, it's like ready technology wise We're just working on the agreements and, and other documentation so that, that we don't just launch a software, but also something that has guides and, and other supporting documents so that it's easier for people to understand uh, the entire product.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Are you, what are you looking at, two to three months, do you think?
1: Um. Yeah, two months. I would say,
0: which which means for good measure, say three.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that happens.
0: It does all the time. So now, tell us where people go to find out more information and and to contact you to provide you with anything, any support, or just learn more.
1: We are available on on Facebook and uh, LinkedIn. They can always contact us on on our social media or email addresses. But email addresses are usually lengthy. So the best way to find us would be social media, I guess. They can find me on social media by just typing Shersha Rahim, S-H-E-R, space S-H-A-H, space R-A-H-I-M. And Matiullah as well, he can spell his uh, Facebook account. Exactly. Mine
2: is Matiullah Rahmati, which is M-A-T-I-U-L-L-A-H, space R-A-H-M-A-T-Y. That's how people can find us. And also, if they want to take a look uh, on what we are doing at CoWorthy, they can type CoWorthy.com, and uh, there's our website, and they can find more and more information on what's CoWorthy and what we're doing there.
0: And some great photos on Facebook, I might add. Anything else you want to add?
2: What I want to add is, like, uh, today I'm so happy and fortunate because... Like there are some good set of mind or mindset that is like increasing in youth in Kabul, which is like thinking globally. There are rare people, but there are. That's the good point: people who are thinking on a global like uh, level, and the people who are like uh, looking to provide with solutions or innovations, which is like uh, in a global level, and that's what makes me personally so happy. Because though we are a country which is like, still now we have war going on in the country and the situation is not fine. People are dealing with very, very basic problems and challenges of their life. But still there are people who are thinking globally. And though they have the opportunities to leave the country and go and live in a better country outside, better conditions or opportunities, but they still, they have chosen to live in Afghanistan and provide with solutions.
1: One thing that I would like to add to it is that yes we see a lot of people fleeing out, um, out of the country they they're leaving Afghanistan but at the same time we have very young generation in Afghanistan that are that wouldn't leave Afghanistan no matter what the opportunity is I've seen them and they would work very hard to to the towards the development of the country and the, the products that they have and the ideas that they have So we are very uh, hopeful for the future of Afghanistan and for all the startups that we've been supporting in the past or that we will be supporting in the future. So, yes, thank you very much for your support and all other people that have been supporting us so far.
0: Oh, it's absolutely brilliant what you're doing. I think think that... If nations take a close look at it, any nation that's been in, in post-conflict or well, actually it doesn't matter because even the United States would qualify at this point. But it, it's it's that the, when you're rebooting an economy, it's startups that power it. And even without rebooting the economy, the startups are the ones that power it. So the kind of support, the kind of initiative you're doing is is so powerful for economic well-being and for for actually rebounding from any setbacks. So, you know, congratulations to both of you for moving this forward. I'm just uh, feel quite honored to be able to be able to do this with you.
1: Thank you very much. We're honored.
0: I'm really hoping it would be great fun to meet up with you at World Economic Forum in uh in um January, I guess. Maddie, I don't know if you're going, but it would be off because I see you're a global shifter, so shaper. So that would be tremendous fun. But at any rate, I, I really uh, want to thank you both very much for for sharing your experience on the program.
2: Thanks so much from you. And it was great talking to you and sharing our thoughts or what we have from Kabul.
0: A lot of young people in the world today are choosing to stay in their own countries, do the tough stuff, and they need your support. So again, I'm going to call out any authors listening to this who have written business books or personal leadership books or any of that that you feel might be useful for Coworthy. Kindly reach out to Maddie or Shah Rahim on Facebook and uh, get their coordinates. If you can't find them for some reason or you're not on Facebook, message me. I'd be happy to send you the coordinates for that, so that we can do a collective best at uh, sharing and supporting these initiatives globally and worldwide. I want to thank you very much for listening to the program. I'm Donna Jones. You can find my material both in Decision Making for Dummies, which is an advanced book for smart decision makers. I've also just uh, written a uh, co-author with a book called From Hierarchy to High Performance, and that, work, that chapter was on workplace health. Yeah, very good company, by the way, <laughs> with that one. I write on Medium as well, and my workshops involve mindset, conscious uh, leadership, and decision-making for very complex situations, so very much transformational insights and strategies from a personal level to a global level. From insighttoaction.com is the website, E-P-D-A-W-N-A underscore Jones on Twitter, and on Facebook, it's From Insight to Action. Thanks very much for joining me. Please, if you enjoyed this program, please share it. Uh, help us get that out. I'm really good at the content, not so good at the marketing and social media. So your support would be greatly appreciated. Thank you very much.